Hey, Diana. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Cool shirt. It's very vibrant. I like it. That's the point. I wanted to be vibrant and started off happy, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's so, so important for these kinds of conversations is for people to be able to see that you can have them and it doesn't have to be this like super down thing. It's been really cool as a result of this podcast, people have been like tagging me in videos of people that they think would be good to have on the podcast. And so somebody sent me one of your videos and then I went through all of your videos. And so that was how I found you. And I'm really excited to have you on here. So Diana, what happened to you? Um, When I was six years old, my stepdad molested me. I remember it like it was yesterday. My stepdad is an alcoholic, lived in the Bay Area at the time, and I fell asleep on the couch. Mind you, I have many brothers and sisters, a lot of them. So the houses run around everything. Mm. There was always drunk men um, in the front yard with my stepdad chilling after work. It was normalized. I remember I fell asleep on the couch. He picked me up and as a little kid or even anybody, you kind of just wake up. So I kind of like woke up and fell back asleep or tried to. You know, like when like he was picking you up? When he already had me, I was like, okay, I kind of recognized who it was. And I'm like, I'm just going to go back to sleep so he doesn't know that I woke up. Right. So yeah. he put me to bed. Yeah. He puts me in my bed and I share a room with um, two of my siblings. And I just remember feeling his hands go down my pants and he started to masturbate me. And as a little kid, I was just like, what, what's happening? Like, why is this happening? And I understood that it wasn't normal, but I don't remember how I knew that. Um, yeah. I think somebody walked in or passed by or something because he abruptly got up and left. And that was that. Gotcha. And there were, and you were in the room with multiple siblings. Well, I shared the room with multiple siblings, but I don't think they were there. I think they were like playing outside or, you know, minding their business, basically, like still not in bed because we didn't really have a bedtime back then. Yeah, it is interesting how like even at that age, had you been like taught anything like about, you know, things to look out for or like any sort of education about this kind of stuff at all? To be honest, um, I don't remember a huge portion of my um, childhood because Mm -hmm. of the trauma. So I cannot tell you, uh, some of the things that I remember after, after myself speaking out and stuff, my, uh, siblings, the ones that speak to me will be like, Oh, you don't remember this. You don't remember that. And it'll be like, Oh, you know, two and two together. And I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But I have blocks in my memory, except for the trauma, you know, for some reason, those want to be there just like, Hey, yeah, it is so funny how that happens. And it's also interesting how like, because I felt the same way, like, even though I didn't really know what was going on, I knew that it was not right. Like I knew that there was something off, but I didn't know how to say that or like, and I definitely didn't feel comfortable like speaking up while it was going on really and I also just kind of pretended to be asleep you know it's like easier to just kind of play possum and not have to deal with it Um, exactly was that the the only time that it happened um with him that I remember I believe it was however sexuality was so normalized in our environment that I believe that was another reason why I did not speak up out of fear out of what's going to happen what if I break up a family and oh that's no big deal What do you mean that sexuality was normalized in the environment? I think the way that I mean it is there was porn in the bathroom at Kids Reach. There was Mm. um, videos, you know, like VHS is I'm pretty old. I don't know how old you are, but VHS (laughs) of like girls gone wild. Remember those? Sure. That me and um, my stepbrother would like easily reach and just put in there and be like, what's going on here? Like, this is interesting. Um, My stepdad, he would talk so horribly about women, sluts, this, that, I'm going to go meet them at the cantina, the cantina is like the bar. Speaking to women as if they were trash was normalized to the point that we did not feel as if we were on the same level as men. And this is, um, I don't want to speak for everybody in my culture, I'm Mexican, but in the Hispanic culture, it seems to be a big uh, problem, machismo, which is basically um, men who believe they're better than women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, macho. So, um, Everything that I saw, even though it may have not been normal, like um, my stepdad telling my mom he was going to go cheat on her, just everything was just what it was. It was just normal. That's that's what I mean by that. Um, 
Yeah, I guess my, you just don't really question things at that age. You, know, you it's don't. Just, it's you just don't. all you know. So you don't even have anything really to compare it to um, other than maybe the experiences that you have at other people's places. And, and for me, it was like kind of the opposite. I didn't have that kind of stuff at my place, but at my friend's place, we were doing that kind of stuff all the time. I and mean, we'd look at all sorts of images and that was like fun. You know, like it was the environment that you wanted to be a part of as a kid. Cause that know. was my place. That was my place. The place that you saw all those things and thought it was just like, what? Yeah. And it's it sucks to know that now because throughout the years, I didn't see it like that. I thought it was just, Oh, my childhood I had a great childhood. And then life happened where I was like, wait, I need to go to therapy. Like something's <laughs> yeah. up. Right. When like friends were coming over to your place, were they also looking at that kind of the, the VHS girls gone wild things like that? Uh, no, actually I've never really had uh, friends over. My family was very much like, we don't want anyone at our house, not even family members. I don't remember having like parties or like people coming over ever. Um, and me as a girl, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Later on in life, uh, when I was like maybe 15, 20, because I've lived with my family throughout life on and off, mm -hmm. my other friends would come and he would make them feel so uncomfortable. Like he would try and be like touchy feely and talking about things that were just inappropriate that I would have to talk to my friends before they came in to say hello, you know, be like, hey, listen, he's really weird. He's that <laughs> weird guy. Okay. Like he try not to talk to him. We'll try to in and out and get out of here. You always have to have a talk with everyone coming in. That was new. Really? And it sucked. But I also thought that was normal to having a talk like, Hey, listen, this is how my parents are, but it wasn't. And I didn't <laughs> recognize that for the longest time. And was that before or after he molested you? This was after, uh, as a little kid, I wasn't really allowed um, to have people over. We, again, we had a lot of brothers and sisters. We just played with ourselves. We played with the kids. Um, in the front, uh, we lived in a house that had apartments in the back and he was the manager, like the general manager of those. So we would just play with the kids in the back and stuff, but no one would actually ever come into our home. Gotcha. And so you were aware that it was going on at the time, like awake, but asleep in your head, sort of like what was going on while that was happening. Yeah. I was just thinking like, why is this grown up putting his hand there? Like, why, why is this happening? Like, literally, I just didn't understand what was happening. I was so confused, but I knew that I didn't like it and mm -hmm. it wasn't okay. And for whatever reason, throughout life, that memory of that molestation of one time with this particular individual has made me drown in a glass of water in all reality, like in all honesty. Mm. this tiny experience compared to, and obviously it's not good to compare, but like everyone else's experience, like for example, you, who it happened to you for a long time, a long period of time with the same person, you seem so happy and go lucky, you know? <laughs> and it's unfortunate what happened to you, of course. To me, it was one time, so people can easily just be like, oh, get over it, get over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I didn't think it was a big enough of a deal to speak up. That's super interesting because I feel the same way about my experience when I compare it to other people who, whether they went through something for a longer period of time or it was more severe, it's, it's a natural tendency for, for people who have been through trauma or just, I mean, humans in general, we just have that constant comparison sort of happening and you can't invalidate whatever you've gone through just by seeing other people who have been through worse. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean by that. And yet at the same time, like no matter what, anyone else has gone through all of the feelings that you have are valid from the experience that you've had but we just have this tendency to make things seem uh, and maybe it's a coping mechanism maybe it's like oh well maybe I, maybe what i went through wasn't that significant or, or severe it could be something like that i don't know but it's funny how many people i've spoken to who feel exactly the same way or no matter what anyone else has been through that doesn't diminish what happened to you at all how do you feel about it now um, well, it still affects me because of the things I have for, um, passed since then. I think it's important to talk about the fact that I lived with my abuser until I was 15 years old, quiet with this thought reoccurring in my head constantly, like it was there, but I was doing my own thing, but it was still there, but I was still doing my own thing. So it wasn't a big deal. It seemed as though I suppressed that memory, but I thought about it often, if that even makes sense and just continued with life. And then when I was 15, um, my stepdad kicked me out. He kicked me out because I, 
I snuck out of the house, mind you. I was never allowed to leave. I was seeing my brothers and sisters do uh, sports, extracurriculars, um, go out with their friends. And I would walk out the front door and my mom would be behind me like, where are you going? Like, whoa, she put the fear in me. Yes, my mom was, uh, is, I'm sorry, she's alive. She is a very devoted Catholic woman, very much like I'm a stand by my man and Jesus first. And I am just like, always questioned her thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we've always clashed. Do you happen to like, I'm just curious, like why you think they didn't want you to leave the place? Thinking about it now, knowing what I know now, I think my mom knew. Oh. I really do believe it in my heart. It would. um, But also just the difference in mentality of how they treated their sons versus their daughters. Mm -hmm. And there was also very much favoritism between us for some reason. Um, And that goes in the guys and the girl side. So for me, I was very much put to the side. I am a middle child. I have a stepbrothers, stepsisters, half sisters, half brothers. It's a big mixture in there, but we all lived together for a very long time. And I was always very much invalidated in my feelings. And I never really recognized it until later on in life, how horribly invalidated and gaslighted I was throughout life. It all makes sense now though. So (laughs) (laughs) it's all good. (laughs) Yeah. In retrospect, yeah, it always does make a lot more sense. Before we move on from this, this first experience, I'm curious, like when you, the next day, like, did you kind of just resume things like, you know, as if nothing had happened or was there a part of you that was like, oh, like, I wonder, like, should I tell somebody about this or? To be honest, I don't have memory of the next day. I don't have memory at all of the next day. After that, I think after that experience, my memory was completely blocked. I just, I wasn't the same after that. And it happened in a time frame, in an age frame where our, our mind is still growing and it will affect us. Ages one through six is such an important developmental age for kids. Yeah. I didn't recognize until now as an adult how much it really did affect my life and, and how much it could have been different if that did not happen. Dude. But it did, so. <laughs> yeah. And is, what makes you think that your mom knew? Uh, we'll have to get into that <laughs> throughout the <laughs> podcast, honestly. Okay, sure. Were there any other events that happened in your childhood like this? Yes. Um, I remember I spent the night at my grandparents' house. Uh, they lived in Robot City, California at the time. And I remember waking up from my sleep. I want to say I was maybe seven or eight. I'm not really sure of my age, but I was a kid. And I remember feeling something in my hand. And mind you, I haven't really talked about this um, on TikTok or with many people. Mm-hmm. But I didn't recognize in, in my thoughts at the moment what part of the body I was touching. But it was a lot of us sleeping in the living room, like uh, siblings and uh an uncle that lived there. He was in high school at the time. And then something wet and sticky was all over my hand. Mind you, I was a little kid. And then I realized what he made me do. In my sleep, he made me Jack Ma. I don't know what other way to say it. Sorry. (laughs) Bizarre is totally what happened. (laughs) But that's exactly what happened. And I was so confused again. Like, I'm like, what? Like, why am I, why is my hand doing this? Like, why are, like, why is he next to me? Like, why is this happening? Yeah. And that was another um, big event in my brain, I guess, because after that, I don't remember much. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like you black out and then just come back in for the trauma. And then the rest of it is just mm-hmm. God. It's I wonder why. Isn't it brain- fun? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually feel similarly, uh, even though I do have, I think I have more memories sort of of the in-between the non-molestation instances of like hanging out at my friend's house, I still find the molestation events to be like the most vivid in my mind. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't recognize this till later on in life where I realized I don't like being touched in my sleep. Mm. And now (laughs) I know I understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Because I've been violated in my sleep. It's crazy. Yeah. And woke up the next day. Was Was there any communication between you and your uncle? No, like after that, it was just like normal. He was the fun uncle, the cool uncle that everyone liked. And just like an everyday episode in my life, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that was around eight-ish, right? What was Around the same time frame, though, there was another one. Oh, what was that? Yeah, there was a a kid. I don't want to say how I know him, but um, he was also molesting me. But again... I don't talk about that experience too much because 
he was also a child really? and he didn't know any better because I'm sure it was happening to him. Like we experience things and then we continue to try to reenact them because we think it's normal or we yeah. want to believe it's normal. You know, exactly. The third time that this happened, did, did it become more normalized in your head or was it always kind of like, Oh, this should not be going on. No, it was normalized in my head, in my home in general, we weren't really being watched. And that's so sucky because I used to think I had a great childhood, honestly. Yeah. Um, we did have some fun times there, you know, but we didn't have a routine. It's something I didn't know until recently. We always had like really bad teeth. Um, no one was ever really telling us, hey, like this is right, this is wrong. Because I believe truly that my mom was so focused on her husband and also overwhelmed. I think she was really, really overwhelmed. And I, and I speak that so calmly now. And a few months ago, I wanted to like, you know, like yeah. I'm in a different mindset now, honestly, <laughs> I understand awesome. a little more. Yeah. And, and you made a good point there too. That's like, you can have, you know, some of the best times in my childhood were over at my friend's house, not the molestation aspect of things. Yeah, you, can, of course. you can have like people, I think don't really rec register that like molestation is so often integrated into just like normal daily life, right? Like it, it, you can have all of these positive experiences intertwined with the molestation that's going on. And it's not just like, you know, I, I feel like especially people who haven't been through it think that it's just like this, you know, this thing that's like uh, all the time, you're just like horribly, you know, wrapped up in it when it's like, in reality, it's like, I just didn't think about it and just tried to enjoy the good times that I was having. Um, exactly. so, so this happened three times to you before the age of roughly eight, nine around there. It happened three times. And the one with the, with the boy, with the little boy that happened reoccurring for a really long time. Gotcha. So very much normalized, like you said, like um, after it continued to happen, it was just like, oh, this happens. Okay, let's go play now. You know? Right. What was the rest of your childhood like other than these experiences? I was disassociated most of the time. I didn't recognize that I was disassociating until later that I, I realized, oh, that's what that's called. That's not normal. That doesn't happen to everyone all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's what I was doing. But as a teenager, um, I wasn't really allowed to do much. I was very much promiscuous, mm. very much, understandably so now. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't allowed to do basically anything. Uh, it, what sort of promiscuity did you get into if you weren't able to do anything? So I would just have like the most popular guys in school come over and we would just have sex in the car in front of the house. We'd meet about the, gotcha. at the orchards, you know, things like yeah. that. <laughs> I was very much being used and looking for love in all the wrong places, mm -hmm. not recognizing then that I didn't even understand what love was. I just thought it was physical touch because I guess that's how the people around me that claimed they loved me showed their love, you know? Oh, that's exactly what it is. Yes. And you, we, we just don't know any better at the time. Just, these are the people yeah. that we look up to and, and trust and care about. And when those people, whatever they do to you, you're going to kind of accept it as a fact. Um, yeah. So when I was 15 and he kicked me out, I moved in with a few friends. I hopped around. I lived with three different friends. And I didn't know at the time because I was so naive that my parents weren't even like helping financially. It was literally the goodness of these uh, kids' parents' hearts, letting me live in their homes and stuff. Then I lived in North Carolina with my sister who took me in and she had custody of me for a bit. Um, mind you, no one knows what's happened to me. This is just me living through life real quick. San Diego, I lived with my sister's mother-in-law. She is amazing. Oh, I love that woman. And I was really just kind of left to figure it out in all honesty. I lived in Mexico after that because when I came back from North Carolina, I got in a huge car accident with my friends who were like drinking. I hadn't even had a drink, but mm. I got there. And then I was sent to Mexico to my grandma's house where we lived like in rural Mexico. Um, there was running water, but you basically had to call the guy with the water pipe to come and pay for the water. Uh -huh. No AC type of place. I lived there for about four years uh, between 17 through like 20, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And I was extremely promiscuous there because you can go to the club at 17 over there. Gotcha. And I was like hooking up with multiple guys a night. Like I didn't care. I did not care about my safety. I did not care about myself because I did not love myself. And I still got married out there. 
Oh, whoa. At what age? Yeah. I got <laughs> married at, I want to say I was 19. I moved in with my boyfriend, uh, ex-husband, when I was 17 and he was 24. And I didn't recognize also that that wasn't okay. <laughs> but it's normalized. Again, the macho mentality and all of that's normal. If you yeah. hear all the songs of back in the day, it's like talking about these girls, like they're talking about 14 year olds and it's like 30 year old men. That's not okay. And just a side but, note, um, that's the problem that I have with TikTok is that it's yes. children twerking for adults. There's never been an app before where you can just, like anyone can go watch girls dancing and boys dancing like super sexually anonymously like you you can just anybody can create an account and it's just it's really wild that's so. exactly why my kids don't have an account at yeah. all but yeah sorry just a, it's a little tangent there no, no. Um, no you definitely need to say that for sure because you're right <laughs> yeah okay so you moved in with your boyfriend and then he proposed my mom, yeah my mom was totally fine with it for some reason like she just kind of allowed me to do whatever but then I recognize now that she just didn't really care enough um mm. I moved in with him I married him simply to get away from my family in Mexico because they would constantly uh slut shame me just treat me like I was trash mm. aside from the fun times aside from the fun times but yeah. um, I needed to get away and that was kind of like my my safety net and then I recognized that that's not where I needed to be three months into the marriage I came back here I was just like yeah sorry dude it's not working out and <laughs> I came here yeah and I came back to that house I came back to my stepdad and my mom's house again in my head what the heck is she doing I was thinking it was normal because that thought was still there but it wasn't right here you know what I mean I know exactly what you mean and it's crazy how those thoughts can dictate our lives without being aware of it even. What was the original yeah. like rationale for why they kicked you out of the house? So I snuck out. I want to say it wasn't even that late. I want to say it was like eight or something, but they were like, they're always very much homebodies in the back. I snuck out because I wasn't allowed out ever. And I went two blocks down to my friend's house. I guess they called the police because I didn't have a phone because I wasn't allowed to have a phone. Mm -hmm. And they found me there. I remember that day distinctly too, because my friend's dad, he treated me like, like I was his daughter. Like he defended me, like everything. And I was just so grateful. Mm -hmm. Then I got home because the cops needed to take me home. They took me home and my mom was there like, okay, it's fine. You know, try not to cause a scene very much always trying to not cause problems with my stepdad. My mom was always like anxious, like, no, 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 everyone be quiet. Don't wake him up. And he came outside in just his boxers and was like, get her out of my house. She doesn't live here anymore. And I was just like, what? The yeah. cops were just shaking their head. And I questioned why they didn't do anything or like, hey, dude, like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> they were shaking their in head like, towards your, towards you having snuck out or towards your dad? I think towards the situation towards this man coming over here in his underwear and hella drunk or i'm not even sure if he was drunk that day probably yeah just do maybe causing this scene over this teenager who truly wasn't doing anything other than at their friend's house because mind you the cops were called they saw the situation over there they saw the situation when they took me home and they're just like are you serious i think what happened after though because i kind of blocked that out a little bit is my mom convinced everyone that she was going to take me even though she lived in the same house and then she um rented me out in a a hotel room like in this like meth area behind my high school at the time <laughs> it was super cringy and I stayed there for a few days and then she told me that I was going to Mexico and that was that I wonder if your your stepdad was just so afraid of you speaking up or like seeing how things were at other people's places and then maybe that would cause you to start questioning the reality that you've been living in um, I just wonder what, what was, why he was so aggressive about you not leaving the place. You know, um, when he kicked me out, I didn't directly go to Mexico. Now that I think about it, it's like kind of scattered in my head because I live so many places. Yeah. But um, that's when I started uh, living with my friend's uh, parents. And right. what's funny is I met my stepdad, I think I was three or four. I never had a good feeling about him. I was always scared of him. Every time he'd come around, I would cry and my family would always be like, oh, she's just so attached to her mom. Oh, she's jealous. So this and that. And in all honesty, even as a little, little kid, there was something off about that man. And mm -hmm. no one ever believed me. 
Interesting. So then you, you get back to this, to your original home. And what's sort of the feeling when you're realizing that you're going to do that? And then when you do get home? When I came back after leaving my first husband? Yeah. Or after, okay. So after that, again, it was normalized. Like hearing my stepdad say vulgarities about women was normalized. And my mom sitting there like, yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of being like, hey, don't speak about women that way. I have daughters, you know, like respect me as, as your wife. Yeah. So that was normalized to me. There was one experience when I lived there that I truly believe was one of the beginning thoughts to me starting to even think about speaking up. Um, this was a few years back and I was in the room next to them, just, you know, sleeping, watching a show, whatever. And he was drunk in the back talking to my mom about one of my uh, sister's he was talking about one of my sisters in a really inappropriate manner. And that conversation stuck to my head. And um, I talked to my mom about it afterwards. And I'm like, Hey, like, why did you allow him to speak like that about your daughter? Like, that's not okay. And like every interaction with my mom, when I tried to speak up was just like, Oh, you know how he is. Mm. So it was normalized. Like, you know how he is. Oh, he's drunk. Oh, it's no big deal. Like, just don't listen to him. You know how he is. So that was, the reaction, the response every time that I decided to be like, Hey, like, no, that's not cool. And that's not okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you, but, but living there, I stayed there for a little bit. I stayed there for like two years and it was just like, I didn't think about it. I was working, I was going to school. Uh, I was going to beauty school and I didn't know that while I was working and going to beauty school, he was trying to get me locked up in, um, I don't know how you say it, like a psych unit or something. Like a psych ward. Yeah. Yeah. He was trying to get me locked up and I didn't know that my sibling later on in life told me that, that he was trying to convince everyone that I was crazy. Oh, he was laying, he was laying the groundwork. Yes. 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 Apparently he's been doing this my whole life. Gaslighting people to believe I was a bad person to the point that I believed I was a bad person. Maybe he just knew that you, because you probably molested other of your siblings or just other people, you know, he might've just known that you were going to be the person that stuck up to him and just like decided to speak up for whatever reason. He definitely had a feeling and that was his defense mechanism against what might be you speaking up in the future. You know, I think he saw, I think you're right. And I think he saw that um, because it wasn't like, it was just, he molested me and we never talked about it again. Every experience with this man, whether it be having a conversation was inappropriate there was inappropriate touches there was everything um for example even as a little kid when he was coming home from work my mom would be like everyone needs to start cleaning right now everyone and that panic was put into our system like oh my god he's coming he's coming he's coming so i think it was kind of normal to me to not think about the molestation because i was already scared of him because that's how I was told to act basically like don't do this don't be too loud don't say this like very much walking on eggshells my whole life and not just me obviously my siblings as well but there was a time there was an experience where I was I don't know like maybe 11 or 12 or something and I just found out what masturbation was for myself right so I'm in my room exploring my body yeah and he walks in and he saw me and he didn't just, oh, I'm sorry, close the door. No, he stood there for a really long time. What felt like eternities at that moment. Yeah. And then he slowly walked back and closed the door, still not breaking eye contact with a less smirk on his face. Oof. And I was, oh, oh, exactly that. I felt so disgusted and weirded out and thinking at that moment, like he was trying to watch me continue. Like, this is really weird. Like he's really fucking weird. Yeah. Talk about killing the mood. That's like, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. Check off the list. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> that is so weird though, because he, you know, he didn't know at that moment, if you even remembered when he had molested you, probably. Um, Do you ever wonder like what, what goes through their head? Like after they've seen you, you know what I mean? Like you and me had to 
really be around these people for a very long time. Yeah. And it's like, I wonder what, I know what I'm thinking, but I wonder what they're thinking. Do they really think that maybe because we're so young, we're not going to remember, but do they not remember when they were our age and they remember like, it's so odd. Yeah. I do wonder what he was thinking. My experience wasn't like violent. You know, it wasn't, it was very subtle. It wasn't, he, it wasn't that he, like he was not trying to physically harm me. For example, like Jody Pliche, who came on the podcast, whose dad murdered the guy who molested him. A lot of people have that reaction to these kind of things. You know, they think that oh, that person should be dead. You know, like they should never be able to exist anymore because of this. And I just never, I never really felt that sort of aggression or like animosity towards the guy who molested me. I mean, I, I was definitely angry at him, but I never, I think because my experience was not so severe. And again, like we were talking about earlier, you know, you feel like yours wasn't just as bad as other people's. But I feel like that made me not empathetic towards him. But like, I just don't think that he had these super malicious thoughts going on in his head, maybe. Um, but who knows, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he really didn't like me. And it was <laughs> just trying to take the anger out on me. I, I'm not sure. But um, I think you saw him as as human. Yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that that also is, it's been a big change in my thought process as of, you know, as since speaking up, basically starting to do stand up about it is that like anger and fear and worry, these emotions that I've been hanging on to for so long. It's like, that's just my own experience that I'm causing to be less enjoyable now by hanging on to these things. So I think it also comes with just sort of letting go and trying to forgive people. And I want to get into your experience with that too. But um, so that was around 10. So now we're sort of jumping around here, but, but you guys never talked about that, did you? No, I didn't talk about it with anybody. I just kept it to myself. I'm like, just like a big ball of emotions. You just keep them in, keep them in, keep them in yeah. until one day they come back. Totally. They're like, hey, you got to do something about this or I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't go anywhere unless you acknowledge them. And it's just wild that, you know, we can have that experience where like we're both Cause you know, there was a time when I said, I told the guy to stop when he was molesting me, like towards the end of all of it. And that was like kind of the first moment that we had both acknowledged, like, okay, you are touching my dick right now, you know? And it's weird that he, you know, saw you masturbating. And then he was like, all right, well, we are, we are looking at each other, you know, you're, you're not asleep. It's not up for debate as to whether or not this is going on or, or that I saw you doing this, but it's, it does yeah. sort of. It, it, despite that happening, you know, you, it's still, you can still just go back to life, you know, as if it never did, even though you both. Yeah, we never had it. like, we never had that um, birds and the bees talk in my home. Mm. Talking about sex was wrong. I, uh, we were like the type of family where, and I'm sure a lot of kids have this, but like my mom would sit and watch TV and there's like a kissing scene and you're like, oh, let's change that. But if uh, there was something that she just simply didn't agree with, um, like there's a girl in bikini, she's like, oh. And we're like, oh my God, we have to change it. That's wrong. And then just kind of do this a little bit. We were always in church. <laughs> right. Yeah. E even with the Girls Gone Wild VHS tapes and things like that. And it's like, if they weren't right, why, why is he allowed to have them? If we're not right. supposed to look at them and it's so evil, but uh, yeah. I don't know. The muchis, ma muchisimo. Machismo. 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 Yeah. So after that two year time span, uh, you are what age at this time? Like about 20? Yeah. So I stayed there for a bit. Um, I finished beauty school and then I got remarried. Well, I didn't get married like right away, but I met my husband at the, of the time and I lived life normal. Like I lived life away, you know, in a different state. I lived in Arizona. I was in San Diego. That's the same state, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you just, the farther away and something I didn't recognize was that um, the farther away I was, the better my communication with my mom was and the better our relationship was. Mm -hmm. And I never recognized why that was like, I'm like, I almost talked to her every day, like nothing. I didn't have to talk to my stepdad. I didn't have to think about my stepdad, like nothing. Yeah. My mom came to visit me maybe one or two times at the time and he didn't come. And that was like, thank God he's not here. <laughs> like I don't have to deal with him. Right. Like, he was just, he was a nuisance of a person in general. Like, even though throughout life I lived with him and I hated him, I still, like you said, like, um, I, I still cared for him as my dad mm -hmm. because he was still providing as my dad. And that was the only type of father figure that I ever knew. Like, I didn't know there was good dads out there. I didn't know 
there was people that weren't being touched. I didn't know none of that. So to some extent, I still cared because he was helping me. So I would still talk to him as a human. If he asked me a question, like we would still obviously have to interact in our home and everything. But in the back of my mind, I'm still like, oh, I have to talk to him again. Or like, oh, he's breathing. Oh, of course. <laughs> but it yeah. just was what it was. Yeah. I think that um, the reason that my relationship with my mom got better at the time was because she didn't have the ability to gaslight me anymore. Mm. Because I was putting too. boundaries. Yeah. And I, um, I very much was a girl that needed her mom. Like I loved mm. my mom and I never got the attention that I needed at, to, to what I felt like I needed yeah. for my mom. But our, our relationship has always been very toxic. Um, I've never felt like she loved me in a motherly way. I felt like in a sense, she looked at me, maybe not like competition, but like competition, which is really weird. I think uh, some women just have a hard time loving their daughters because their mothers did not show them the love that they needed appropriately. So it just continues to become like, um, like this, uh, family trauma that continues until someone decides to break that cycle. Right. Yeah. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What happened after that? I got a phone call from my in-laws who, um, I had never met letting me know that my stepdaughters were homeless. And, um, I basically became a mom overnight, uh, We dropped our things. We drove uh, about nine hours to pick up the girls. We got custody of them. And for four years, I just raised the girls. And that experience was traumatizing in a positive way because those are my daughters. But um, (laughs) was such a big deal to me that it started my journey with therapy because of them. My girls went through a lot too. my girls were living with their mother, their birth mother, who was um, really strung out on heroin for a few years, and they had to experience something that obviously kids shouldn't experience. Mm-hmm. So I put them in therapy. I immediately got them checked to make sure, you know, they weren't being raped, molested, anything. Like, that was my first instinct. Yeah. They were good, thank God. But after I started putting them in therapy, I decided that I needed to be in therapy as well, because I recognized that I didn't know how to be a mother because of that my mom showed me, like what she showed me, I felt like it wasn't enough because I was taking my anger out on my kids and it wasn't their fault. It was my own suppressed emotions of being overwhelmed with having kids, with not having my husband around because, you know, he was in the military. He was literally gone like the whole time. Mm. He was gone in periods of three months and then he was back for two weeks. So it was literally just us raising each other, getting to know each other. And I wanted to be the best mom I could be for them. Totally. We started therapy. I started therapy with my very first therapist. And the first thing I told her was, I I just started crying. And I was like, my dad molested me. And I was just like, holy shit, why did I tell this random woman this? Like, (laughs) what's happening? And this was the first time that, that you had spoken up? Yeah. Wow. It was the first time that I've spoken up. And what was it about that therapy session that allowed you to just let it all out? I don't know. I think she made me feel safe. Mm. I think that's really all it was. And after that, um, I talked about it more, but then I moved. So I had to drop her, which later I uh, got my now therapist who she's a godsend. She's amazing. I feel like that woman helped me so much be in the position that I am now as I'm not angry as I once was. And I truly feel like I've leveled up in emotions because of her, like with her help, of course. That's awesome. Um, I started talking to her about it and, and I don't know why. I, you know what it was? When I had to move back because we had the choice of moving back with my mom as a whole family, my kids, my husband, me, save up some money, buy a house or something, or staying um, in San Diego. So we went with my mom. Again, grateful for that. Grateful for someone allowing us to stay in their home, et cetera. And being in that house that last time was so triggering, so hmm. intensely triggering because my mom was coming in and out of the house um, and yeah, it's her house, but there was no boundaries. She wasn't respecting my, you know, my rules with my kids, how I was raising them, just everything that I had a major conversation with her, like a one-on-one, like, Hey, I want to fix a relationship. I want to mend it. I want to be, you know, a good mom and dad, a good mom and dad, a good mom and daughter. <laughs> yeah. 
it didn't really, it didn't really perspire that way, but that experience made me have such a bad breakthrough that I'm thankful for it now. I started going to therapy every single week, once a week, and I started going to the gym. I lost about 65 pounds and I just continued to work on me. Yeah. So I was doing all of this and then I tried DMT. Oh, dope. So DMT is a major, major, major important part of my story because my one experience awoke my brain or something. Yeah. The only way I can um, explain my experience personally is I felt like I died and woke up again. Mm -hmm. And when I was going through my experience, um, I saw this huge caterpillar and it was like pulsating. And I don't know why it reminded me of a dick. But it was <laughs> it was pulsating, and for whatever reason, um, I I fixated on that image, and I was just like, I need to do something. I need to get this anger, this hurt, like everything I've been holding in. I need to get it out. So I started talking about it more. Then my mom came for Christmas again, without letting us know no boundaries. It was just it wasn't a fun time. It was it was not a good year. This was in by the way, uh, Christmas going into twenty twenty. Gotcha. So this is not so far away, like long ago. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I just couldn't stop having panic attacks when she was there. And when she was leaving, when she was finally going back to Mexico, because she like has a house here, she lives here and she lives in Mexico back and forth. I wrote her a letter real quick. Like, oh my God, my brother's coming. He's going to come get her. I wrote her a quick letter and I handed it to her. And I didn't want to make a scene because my kids wanted to say goodbye to their grandma. So I handed it to her in her hand. And I said, this letter's going to change your life forever. And tears in my eyes, like just trying not to panic, letting her know, like, please read this. Just don't read it to anyone. Like keep it to yourself. Read it when you're alone thinking, okay, I'm gonna read it on the plane or something. That's what I thought. Yeah. She just said, okay. And I tried to reach out for like a really big hug, but my mom has always been like a no affection. Uh, so I'm kind of like, I don't like being touched plus the trauma. <laughs> um, yeah. I gave her the letter and I have my little witnesses there. My kids were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she left. And then I didn't hear from my mom until she landed. And she just said, I landed. And I said, okay. And that was it. I had, I did not hear from her, from her for about a week and a half, like nothing. And I just, you can imagine how I felt after such a big revelation that I've held in for what, like, I'm 30, maybe like 25 years. I don't really want to do math right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, and got and the no letter, response. And the letter was just detailing what happened with your stepdad. Exactly. Right. Just my stepdad. Right. Her husband. So I didn't hear anything. I continued with my life. I continued going to gym and just like dealing with these emotions by myself and being like, how, like, why is this happening? Like, you know, I love her so much. Like, why is this happening? And then the next person I told was one of my siblings. And I wanted to believe that he believed me, but he didn't. And I understand, you know, what a shock, what a shocking revelation of your dad, because yeah. that was his dad. And, you know, it was really hard for me to tell my siblings because of the fact that it was their biological dad. And because yeah. that's, that's, that's intense to find something out like that. I told him and then I moved on. I just continued my life and we just didn't talk about it again. And we just continued with life. And then a few days later, mind you, I was in the process of moving out because I, I, we needed to get out. Like yeah. it was just bad. I got a house. And um, when I went to go deposit like all my checks for the house, I decided to call my other sibling. And I told her in the parking lot of a bank on the phone, I was so scared to tell her because she has children. And I thought, what if he did something to her children? She's mm -hmm. going to blame me. And what if she doesn't oh, want to speak yeah. to me again? Like, I felt so guilty for speaking up and for not speaking up earlier. I felt like <laughs> everyone was going to hate me. Oh, yeah. And it's so complicated with the family dynamics. Victims always, we, we for some reason, experience this additional level of burden and like blame 
we make it so much harder for us to speak up just thinking about how people are going to react to it. And it's hard enough to speak up. It's even harder if you think that your siblings are going to blame you for not doing it sooner. And, and if their kids, if your siblings kids were getting molested, like, Oh man, like it's, it's, it's not, it's not your fault, but you, how can you not interpret it that way? Exactly. So after, after I spoke to her, she basically revealed to me that my grandfather was also a pedophile. Gotcha. My grandfather on my mom's side, which turns out he was molesting one of my siblings for a period of, of time. And from that revelation, uh, I remembered that when I lived in Mexico with my grandpa, there was a little girl and her parents came uh, accusing him of giving her money for like to get snacks at a store or something like that, as long as she let him do stuff to her and touch her. I remember that. And I don't know why I suppressed that memory. Like, why didn't I think that was a big deal? I was there when those people came, like I lived there. And I remember um, like my uncles and stuff, like, I think they took them to like stop drinking and to this church up in a hill, like thinking that was going to make it better. Well, it turns out I remember too, like, I forgot to tell you this. Um, I did tell one of my cousins in Mexico a long time ago, we were shit faced drunk. We were just getting drunk together. And um, she had told me about my grandpa too and we never spoke about it whoa so once I found out about uh, my grandpa I told the rest of my family which told my mom's side of the family which told like everyone knew and multiple people started speaking up about not only my grandpa but my stepdad wow so I it was kind of like opening Pandora's box when I was yeah. up. <laughs> yeah no kidding and how did that yeah, feel uh, like to, I, presumably none of these people had really spoken up before. Oh, when I found out about my grandpa, I screamed at the top of my lungs and I just felt like my heart dropped because I love that man so much. Like he never mm -hmm. did anything to me. And I want to make that clear. Um, but knowing it was like, after, after it came out, it was like a lot of math, like adding up, do, 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 do. This yeah, makes yeah. sense. This makes sense. Oh my God. I remember this. Um, basically my brother's, uh, don't speak to me. My sister confronted my parents about it. Like she spoke to them and everything. And my stepdad did not deny it. He said, you have no proof. <laughs> Which is basically, I did it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Wow. I know. Um, so after that, uh, my sister spoke to my mom and I obviously wasn't there for the conversation, but so she just kind of let me know what, what happened. And, um, my mom acted as if she completely forgot about the letter. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. She victimized herself completely. Mm -hmm. She did not call me. I did block her, by the way, on my iPhone, but you can still get uh, messages, voice messages when you block people, just so you know, if you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I blocked her on Instagram, like social media. I don't want to see them on social media now, right? Of course, yeah. But she has multiple ways of contacting me as well as knows my address and never once tried. She did call me after my sisters, my sisters, both of them spoke to her and basically convinced her to call me and make it right. And the voice message that was left was, can you call me back? Thanks. Bye. No emotion whatsoever. So of course I did not call her back and I've been no contact with her um, since I spoke up in um, August of 2020. Wow. Yeah. So this is super recent. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that your mom had any idea about your grandpa? Yes. Turns out that a lot of my, um, my aunts and uncles did know because a lot of the, a lot of the survivors did speak up and they kept it hush hush either. For example, one, uh, so her husband wouldn't find out and either kill him or do something one because she just stayed quiet. Um, one of my aunts, actually, I remember she saw the boy molesting me once, the, the boy that I told you molested yeah. me, and um, we just got in trouble, and that was it. And then later she admitted to also knowing that my grandpa was a child molester, but because um, I guess he tried it with her too at some point in her life, one of my aunts. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they knew. So I'm pretty positive, but I cannot speak for my mother. I would not be surprised if her father, if my grandpa molested her or if someone in her life did so, because, you know, go, looking back, she lives in fear and she does not um, talk about her emotions. And, you know, a lot of things that I did and did not yeah. recognize why I was doing it. Um, and also 
I think she just didn't want to admit the truth to herself. Mm-hmm. It always seems she to def- tie back She knew to about you. my grandpa. She knew about my grandpa for sure. She knew that. And so did my stepdad and they kept it very quiet. It always sort of seems to tie back to your own personal experience. Like if you're not going to believe somebody for that, they're, somebody who's accused of something like this, it generally has to do with like your own thing, whether it was maybe it happened to you. And now this is, if that, if that's true, then you have to, you know, reevaluate your relationship with that person or relive your own experiences. It, it sounds like it definitely could have been happening to your mom too. But yeah, I mean, you basically, <laughs> you liberated so many people in your family, you know, despite some of your siblings not wanting to interact with you anymore. I mean, the, the, you clearly did an immense amount of positive. You had work, an immense, of, what's that? I'm like work. It's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but it's it necessary. feels like such a, such a weight is just, lift it off your shoulders the second you decide to speak up it's amazing totally i'm really happy that you were able to do that and it's very possible that the siblings who are mad at you the reasons that they might be mad at you in addition to the impact that it's had on your family it could have happened to them too and maybe they're not at the point that you're at where you feel like you can actually open up about your experiences who knows (laughs) but yeah that's crazy after your, because your sibling confronted your stepdad about this, and he said you have no proof. What was sort and of? And then I made a TikTok. Yes. <laughs> That's when it all started. Then I made the TikTok. I, I decided I don't know why. I decided I'm gonna make one because I saw a lot of girls and guys, you know, talking about their own experiences, and I was like, wow, this is so empowering. Um, I I want to make one. Yeah. And I made one. And that one, it, like, I haven't really gone viral, but it had like 100,000 views. Sweet. And it was the first one where I exposed everything that, that happened. So I continued to make the videos. And then family members saw the videos and they were pissed. Mm. They were so pissed. And then my stepdad caught COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID-19, which is, again, this is just me calculating. And this could be false, but whatever. I heard the, the video message that my mom sent to her WhatsApp group chat, by the way. Like, I always have somebody telling me something, okay? Yeah. I always know something. <laughs> she let the family know that he had COVID, and it seemed that he had COVID for about 10 days. And she had just gone back to Mexico 13 days prior. So I was like, that's that's weird. Suspicious. That's weird. Yes. So he got pneumonia. My mom was out there. They were They were talking horribly about me from my understanding and just basically trying to convince everyone that I was a liar and I was crazy. And my brothers, the second that he got uh, COVID, they completely switched up on me from some of them believing me to being like, you know, talking atrocious things about me. So I completely just stopped talking about them. Mind you, since I spoke up, not one of them has reached out to me personally and been like, hey, can we have a conversation? Mm-hmm. Only one brother I reached out to through, um, through FaceTime and he was very much supportive. And I'm so grateful for that particular brother because I haven't really had a lot of support. So from there, they were just, you know, talking and I was just removing myself from the situation, taking care of my kids, doing that. And then on October 20th at 6, 10 PM, my stepdad died of COVID. Damn. that's how did that feel when you found that out my sister called me oh no wait no no i'm sorry this my cousin messaged me and she's like yo he died here's a message from your mom and i heard the message (laughs) of my mom flying over her oh him dying like oh he's done and i was just like wow she's so sad she hated him like he was horrible to her yo Um, he died what a message (laughs) and um i fell to my my knees like i fell to my knees and I was shaking and I walked up the stairs and I just started singing. I used to love to sing, by the way, like that was my thing. And I felt like another weight lifted off my shoulder. I felt like I got my justice. Mm-hmm. I really truly did because aside from all the other molestations and things that I've gone through, that one impacted my life so drastically. Yes. Yeah, first one. That, whew, like you don't understand how, not happy. I'm not happy that a human died because at the end of the day, they're human. And I understand that he was a monster by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just was so happy for myself that I never had to look at him ever again. And it was great. Yeah. And like, you're safe. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That is an amazing story. And really? well, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, 
it really goes to show like how deeply rooted the issue of molestation is in people's lives and how like it it has been going on for so long and until we're willing to speak up and like break these cycles it's going to continue to happen but that's what you've done i mean you personally did that <laughs> for so many I people know, in your crazy. family it's i don't want to feel like egotistical be like yeah i did that but oh it's far from that you know when we when we experience things whether good or bad and time passes by we minimize how intense those things actually were we're like oh it's not big of a deal but yeah yeah. It's a huge deal. And you know what? I did that because I didn't want it to happen to my kids. That simple. I didn't want it to happen to my kids. I wanted it to end with me. And it did. I totally agree with that. Like you have the ability as a victim to not only heal yourself and save yourself, like from all of these experiences that you've had, but to also save other people. Like you never know how many other people have been affected by the person who abused you, how many people you can really help by being honest about what happened to you. And I think it's just really incredible. Like you're so eloquent in the way that you told that story is like so uh, easy to, to listen to, despite it being, you know, super traumatic. Like it's, just a testament to the healing that you've done and the person that you've become and you're no longer that pulsing caterpillar you know you evolved into a butterfly so it's like that means so much thank you you're welcome what kind of advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar and is hoping to get to the point that you're at now you know just keep fighting every day um keep fighting the bad thoughts and honestly um for anyone who would have wanted possibly speak up i I can't make you do it and and don't feel pressured to do it if you're not ready. But you know, like you owe that to your inner child, you owe that to your inner child to heal because once you heal yourself and you truly heal yourself, there's going to be so many doors opening opportunities and just the way of life, the way of thinking changes drastically. And honestly, you start to truly love yourself, which is most important above all. I love that. It like it's so it's so palpable like the way that you carry yourself. I mean, I know that this is how we've just met, but I even got that vibe from your TikToks where it's like it's a total openness and authenticity and like it feels like you're just so relieved of any shame associated with any of these experiences and it's just awesome to see. What a whirlwind of a year, you know? Holy cow. Yeah, it's crazy. You know what? Like this experience actually made me grow. Like it forced me to grow. Um, before I wasn't doing anything, I wasn't, I was just working and I put myself in college, um, and I'm uh, majoring in psychology. I know what a cliche, right? Perfect. (laughs) Since I have spoken up, um, and I spoke up to friends, I've spoken up all over at this point. It's been all over my Facebook, Instagram and all that, but so many people, so many people think people I would have never imagined have told me their story. And so many people on Instagram too have been thanking me for telling mine and telling me how it's happened to them. And really the main reason that I chose to actually put it out there so openly was to hopefully help somebody else tell their story and give them that, I don't know, like give them that little oof to be like, you know what, I can do this too. And I'll be okay because we're going to be okay. I mean, look at you and me. Yeah. We're here, right? (laughs) It's so encouraging to hear when people respond to what you're saying in that way. It's like, oh my God, like I have, I can help people with this and help myself at the same time. And I mean, it's infectious the way that you're the vibe that you give off. It makes people feel good to be around. I can feel it right now, you know, and it's like, it's really (laughs) awesome. And thanks. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I'm still going to therapy. Every, every week I go to therapy still, and I still have flashbacks. I have, um, CPTSD, which is the diagnosis I was given. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, the flashbacks are constant every single day to this very day, but I no longer let them overpower me as they did last year because last year was a really hard year for me. Yeah. And I think it's important to say overall, what you speak, you heal. It'll be, it'll be okay. Cause you know, I told my kids all the time. If you keep everything bottled in, it's going to eventually become a big monster you can't control. Yeah. Speak up. We can't change the things that have happened to us, but we can surely change the way that we respond to them and how we process them. And I feel the same way about flashbacks now. You know, I I get them, but it's, I don't have a fear about them anymore. No worries about thinking about these experiences. And I think that that actually causes flashbacks to happen less because you're not worried about it. It's just another thing that pops into your head and you're like, oh yeah. 
you know, nice. <laughs> and then you just move on with your yeah. day. Thank you so much for coming on here, Diana. It was really a pleasure talking to you. And I can't wait to continue to watch your TikToks. And congratulations on, on, on everything that's happened. <laughs> congratulations is kind of a funny word to say for this, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm we just, get it. We, we get, get it. it. Yeah. I'm just happy for you is what I'm trying to say. What is your TikTok, by the way? Uh, my TikTok, I changed my name. So it's uh, Diana Banana W. And you know what? Thank you because your podcast honestly helped me want to speak up even more. Because if I didn't hear your podcast, I would have just been like, okay, continue. But thank you for sharing your story also. Like that's, that's a huge deal. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for listening. It's so encouraging to, to hear that. And I'm, and I'm glad that it had an impact on you. And, and now we're doing it. And you're, you're having that impact on people too. We're just, you know, it's this is I think it's I think it's just the it's it's the best time ever in history in terms of speaking up about this kind of stuff with technology and the ability that we have to like actually get the word out to people at like mass scales. It's like, it's the most important time to be open about these experiences. And um so yeah, thank you so much for doing this. No problem.